From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And if it's mid-September, that can only mean one thing in budget land, and that is the risk of a government shutdown because none of the dozen appropriations bills needed for the coming fiscal year have any chance of being passed in time uh, by October 1st. And so that means they need a stopgap funding measure to avoid a shutdown. That's where we are now. That's what we want to talk about today because the House is now planning on voting on a stopgap measure next week, right, Jen? Right. So one of the things that we get sort of every September um, is that not all of the 12 annual funding bills are completed on time. The last time Congress was able to get all of their spending bills completed was calendar year 1996 for fiscal year 1997. So starting off the fiscal year on a stopgap spending bill is kind of standard practice at this point in time for most federal departments or agencies. They don't like it, um, but everyone is sort of used to working within this framework. And it's pretty common that this first stopgap spending bill or continuing resolution lasts sometime until late November or mid-December. That's particularly true in election years um, because both chambers of Congress are usually scheduled um, and will be scheduled again to be out of town for most of October and, of course, the week of the elections. Um, And so this is something that's, you know, everyone on the appropriations committees and then leadership is used to doing. And so we're just kind of back in that negotiating phase right now. Right. And the interesting thing to me, Jen, is how electoral politics can complicate this this measure. Uh, The good news is both sides say they want a relatively clean stopgap that just extends current funding into the new year without doing too much in the way of of new programs or any any, uh, magic tricks. But the tricky thing is how long should the stopgap last? And that's where electoral politics comes in because the two parties aren't yet of the same mindset in terms of how long they want to stretch this out. Right. Republicans, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, have said they want this continuing resolution to last into mid-December. That's pretty much the sort of standard length of time for this first stopgap spending bill. But Democrats, while they have not come out with a formal official position yet, have been looking at sometime into the next calendar year as their preferred length of this continuing resolution. Uh, Senate Appropriations Committee Ranking Member Patrick Leahy of Vermont, um, he said last week that ideally he would like this continuing resolution to last into at least March because that gives agencies time to plan and it would give lawmakers time to work out the final set of full year or sort of not really full year spending bills. Um, Because one of those things that I'm sure a lot of people remember is that the Senate Appropriations Committee, um, due to disagreements about what type of amendments could be offered to their annual funding bills, they haven't released any of their annual appropriations bills 
let alone mark them up or held floor debate on them. And so even if um, appropriators get the green light at some point to negotiate out final bills with the House, that's going to be a pretty arduous process because we haven't actually seen Senate bills yet, whereas the House Appropriations Committee reported out all 12 of their annual funding bills and passed 10 of those across the House floor. Right. I mean, the Senate bills got all tied up in the in the COVID-19 talks um, because Democrats were eager to attach COVID relief aid to these annual bills and Republicans didn't want to play ball on that. And so the whole process in the Senate just broke down and, and it, it's been broken for months. And the COVID talks are going nowhere too. So that hasn't helped this. So, so <laughs> that doesn't seem to be happening at all. And that's why they need this stopgap. Um, but the question still is, how long should the stopgap last? And I think that's where you see these politics play in because as you pointed out, Jen, I mean, Republicans are adamant that they, they want to see this done by December for a very sensible political reason from their standpoint, which is if they get it done by December, then President Trump is the one with a Republican-controlled Senate that gets to negotiate the final spending package for the year. Whereas if it stretches into the new year, as some Democrats might want, uh, they're betting that they'll have a new president by then and maybe a a Democratic-led Senate as well as House. And so then Democrats will have much more leverage to negotiate the final spending package. And so they, by stretching it out till February, March, uh, they can they can write the final annual bills to their liking. Um, but as you said, Democrats don't have a formal position on this yet, and there may be some division among Democrats because I think the the dilemma there is, on the one hand, if they stretch it out into the new year, uh, they have more leverage on these final bills. On the other hand, that really delays this process significantly so that half of this fiscal year will just be done on a stopgap. And it it leaves the new president saddled with this big burden of getting appropriations done as soon as he hits tries to hit the ground running uh, with his first fresh term in office. Um, there may be some, I'm just speculating now, but I mean, there may be some Democrats who say, you know, do we really want to drag this out that long? Shouldn't we just get this done the best we can and not leave a President Biden, say, saddled with having to do this right out of the gate. Yeah. And of course, if congressional leaders in the Trump administration decide to do this first stopgap spending bill till mid-December, that wouldn't guarantee that they have to finalize all dozen annual funding bills by the end of that stopgap spending bill. There's lots of instances in the past few years or decades even where they do multiple continuing resolutions to sort of give themselves more time to work out the dozen annual funding bills. Um, And another point that I think is really interesting is that if we do know the outcome of the elections, you know, while Congress is working its way through the lame duck session in November and early December, it doesn't really, um, there are some concerns among Democrats um, that, you know, there's no real way of knowing how President Donald Trump would react if he's not reelected. Um, If he loses the popular vote and doesn't get 270 in the Electoral College, I think there are some concerns among a lot of Democrats that he might, you know, refuse to sign another stopgap spending bill in the lame duck session and would either force a shutdown 
Um, or Democrats would try to have to work with Republicans to get two-thirds um, vote in the House and Senate to avoid a lame duck shutdown. And so I think there's a lot of speculation going on. Um, and a lot of lawmakers right now are trying to figure out, you know, what's really the best solution for funding the government when there are just so many unknowns at this point in time. Yeah, that's for sure. There's so many wild cards here and we don't know how the elections will turn out, which which can affect uh, appropriations negotiations, as we know. So that all remains to be seen. Um, now, we should say both sides, the White House and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi have said they want a clean continuing resolution or stopgap. What does clean mean, though, Jen? Clean um, means whatever you want it to mean. Um, and so that changes a little bit every year. Um, in this instance, it seems like both sides are going for as close to the true definition of clean as you can possibly get on a continuing resolution. Um, CRs are never really sort of just a flat extension of spending levels in policy. You always need to add these, what are referred to as anomalies to these spending bills. Um, and they sort of, you know, at, make slight adjustments in funding or policy for certain departments that really need to begin new programs or new contracts or things like that. There's also going to be a pretty lengthy list, I think, of programs that need to be reauthorized, um, being reauthorized for the length of the continuing resolution. So we know that the National Flood Insurance Program, for example, expires at the end of the fiscal year at the end of September. And so lawmakers will need to reauthorize that on the continuing resolution. That's one of the more non-controversial ones, because obviously pretty much every lawmaker, if not every lawmaker in Congress, wants the National Flood Insurance Program to continue, you know, authorizing new flood insurance plans and renewing new flood insurance plans. And so there's a, a lot of things like that that need to go on this continuing resolution um, what we don't think will be going on this continuing resolution right now is any dedicated new coronavirus relief funding. Speaker Nancy Pelosi was asked about that last week, um, and she said that no, COVID relief will not be getting attached to the continuing resolution. It also sounds like while the country is experiencing, you know, a really challenging hurricane and wildfire season, Right now, there aren't any specific legislative proposals out there for a specific supplemental spending bill for natural disasters. And so right now, it seems like the plan is not to have any of that aid added to the continuing resolution. Um, but we are still several days away from seeing final text. Um, and obviously, those situations are evolving um, and pretty catastrophic right now. So that could change. Yeah. So, so far, the COVID talks are on a separate track from the stopgap measure. Um, we'll see if, if, if they stay that way or not. Um, but the problem federal agencies have, of course, with these stopgaps is that by just extending current funding, they're largely forbidden to start any new programs, make any, any new initiatives in these things to, to start new contracts. Um, which can hamstring federal agencies, particularly at the Pentagon, which really hates these stopgaps, but they have to put up with them every year for at least several months. Um, and so we've already seen the White House moving to make exceptions here because uh, the White House has already submitted to Congress its list of these so-called anomalies or funding changes 
that they want to see included. And they did try to uh, address, uh, give the Pentagon some, some help here because, and it involves some big money too, because one of the things that the White House is asking for is, is um, almost $3 billion of additional money to start procurement of the new class of nuclear missile submarines. You know, that's, that's significant money. That's not just an extension of current funding, but it gets wrapped into these, into these packages uh, because otherwise the Pentagon is hamstrung. They can't start the new, the new submarine program that they're scheduled to start um, without this. So that's why you see these, these extra little pieces of funding that can be very interesting to look through because sometimes there are some surprises hidden in there. This year, I'm not sure. It does seem like they're fairly limited in, in uh, surprises. It seems like it is fairly routine stuff. I would point to the submarine money as one exception because that is a significant new start and new money um, with significant dollars attached. And they also wanted a new type of atomic warhead um, funding that they're, they're asking for some uh, design money for that to start that. That would be a new warhead that could be launched from these new submarines. So you do see those kind of exceptions. Um, and we'll be looking for those as the, as the stopgap gets written because we don't know what, what other anomalies uh, lawmakers might want. Exactly. The anomalies are one of the more interesting parts of the continuing resolution bill for me personally to look through, um, as well as sort of anything you may be able to read between the lines on how long it's going to last for. Yeah. But again, I mean, I really think the key question here is how long is it going to last? That The duration question is really controls all. I think that the only thing that could hold up the stopgap is figuring out how long it should last, because that's where the two parties have some vested political interests and need to come to some terms on that before they can get anything passed. And so um, if we see text of this thing released quickly, it would suggest they have an agreement on that. But if it's taking more time, then we know that behind the scenes, they're, they're still struggling with, with uh, how to make the timing work for everybody. Yeah. And it seems like um, most people want to have an agreement wrapped up by the end of, you know, this week so that um, the House could, and possibly even the Senate, could vote on it next week. Um, you know, that's a deadline that Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said on Monday he hopes to have these negotiations wrapped up by the end of the week. We also heard from House Democratic leader Steny Hoyer, who said that he, you know, hopes to have the spending bill on the House floor next week so that the Senate would have plenty of time to pass that legislation and avoid any situation where there are concerns about a partial government shutdown or where the country actually goes into a partial government shutdown. I think just, you know, personally, the outlook right now is I think they get agreement on a spending bill and move it through both chambers and that Trump signs it with minimal drama for an election year. Yeah, they really have to get get these votes going next week because the following week, they're limited because of the Jewish holidays coming up and they're going to be eager to get out of town pretty quick that week to go home and campaign for re-election. Um, so there won't be a lot of time that following week. So next week could be crunch time, it sounds like. Yeah, there's a lot of interest um, from congressional leaders, Republicans and Democrats, to get their more moderate, more vulnerable lawmakers up for re-election back to their home states or their home districts to have them 
campaigning in the ways that you can campaign in the middle of a global pandemic. And so I really think everyone wants to get a speedy conclusion to this so that they can have their people, um, you know, back campaigning during October and early November and also just avoid what would be a very dramatic, you know, messy shutdown situation before the elections. We should say that these, uh, at the same time as they're negotiating this, they're still yelling at each other over COVID relief, but it doesn't seem to go much farther than that. Um, there's a daily back and forth blame game going on um, with each side accusing the other of, of not wanting to cut a deal that, that both sides say are needed for a new round of relief. Um, it seems less and less likely that that can happen this month. Um, what do you think, Jen? I mean, is it, are we already out of time or I, I'm still thinking there's still a slight chance of something coming together just because of the political imperative of going home to campaign for reelection without one sounds kind of ugly, but, um, it's, it does look more and more doubtful. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of interest from moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans who are up for re-election to actually have something they can take back home and campaign on besides just a, a bill that is you know, mostly produced for show votes in the House or in the Senate. And so there is hope for you know, an actual legislative solution from those lawmakers. I just don't think that there's enough time to draft the size of bill that both sides sort of think is needed for the next spending package. You know, the type of funding level we've had, we would have on a true bipartisan package is going to be well north of $1 trillion. Um, I know that we've been sort of um, desensitized to how much funding that actually is and how much time and effort goes into writing a bill of that size. Um, but it is a considerable exercise for lawmakers and staff. And so I just don't think the time is there. They're also not in active negotiations. Like you said, they're criticizing each other every day, but they're doing that in separate floor speeches or separate press conferences or separate press releases. They're not actually really talking to each other about this right now. And so I just don't think there's that sort of will or deadline there to get it done before the elections. Okay. So we will see uh, how these, how both of these negotiations play out here in coming days, but it is, we are approaching crunch time now and we'll have to see what they can get done. Uh, but it's, it's looking less and less hopeful for the, for COVID and the, they will do a stopgap, but we're going to keep our eye on how long that's going to last. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>